land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. Our mission is to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent, and I'm here today with... Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Welcome, Chris. Great to have you on, as always. So, Great to chat. Super exciting topic this week, uh, tax, <laughs> uh, something that everybody <laughs> loves to talk about, but nevertheless, an important component of property, whether you're a home buyer or as an investor. So we're just going to talk about the various types of taxes that are involved in buying, selling property, and even when you own a property. So let's start with um, stamp duty, Chris. So when you're saving a deposit to buy a property, mm. I think we've touched on this before, you generally need to pay stamp duty, unless there are various exemptions in place, which there sometimes are from time to time. But typically, it's about 5% of the property purchase price, and it varies a bit depending on the state or territory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if, if you're a first home buyer, the government's always looking to encourage more demand into the property market. And that's something we'll talk about in other episodes, the system behind the market. But, you know, first home buyers sometimes get exemptions. Maybe it's up to 500 or 600 or maybe it's if they buy a new property. But generally speaking, most people are paying stamp duty. And, you know, 5%, it's a lot of money. And, and you know, there is a lot of talk in, you know, ACT are moving to something called a land tax annually instead of, um, you know, stamp duty in New South Wales trialing something similar at the moment. I don't think it'll be around after the election, but ultimately, um, yeah, about 5% of the purchase price. Different states are more expensive, like Victoria. They know how to charge probably closer to <laughs> 6% from um, from what I can see and maybe a bit cheaper up in Queensland. So, yeah, it's a one-off cost, um, which means that it's a transaction cost. And that's one of the issues with trying to trade property. You know, you buy shares, you're not going to pay 5% of the share price to buy them. You pay $10. Whereas if you want to buy a property, you have to pay 5% to buy it. And then usually around two to three percent to sell it with an agent, um, and so you're talking maybe transaction costs of seven eight percent. So if the property hasn't gone up by seven or eight percent, you're losing money, and that could be a lot of money if you're you know spending a million dollars, for example. Yes, that's right. And uh, sometimes for uh, non-resident buyers, there are stamp duty surcharges. But if you're in Australia, 
Um, yes, it's a it's an annoying uh, tax. And yes, as you mentioned, New South Wales and ACT variously trialling different approaches whereby in New South Wales, first home buyers have been able to opt uh, for the annual tax option. Uh, it's a bit like the old bird in the hand versus uh, two in the bush um, or deferring those costs down the track. Um, I think one of the things in Australia is we're not a low tax country. So um, from an income tax point of view, uh, most of us who uh, take a, any form of sort of salaried employment, you're going to be paying tax at the top rate somewhere between you know 30 to 45%. It depends on how much you earn. So this is one of the things that has driven people towards um, investment property and I, as a way of sort of reducing their income tax. So fairly contentious issue. It was a big election issue in 2019. Um, negative gearing, they call it in Australia. So let's talk a bit about negative gearing, Chris. So this is whereby, as a property investor, uh, you have what they call a net rental loss in a tax year on a property. So in other words, the costs uh, exceed uh, the rental income. And therefore, on your tax return, you can record a net rental loss. So effectively, it's a way to reduce your income tax, or maybe that shouldn't be the goal, but that is the outcome. Yeah, I guess a way to think about it is if you've got a property that's providing you rental income, um, that increases your income. And then when you what you can do is minus off all the costs on that property to reduce your income because those costs were incurred to get um, that you know, uh, rental income. And usually the biggest cost is the mortgage, right? The interest on the mortgage, et cetera. So if you're in a position where the rent doesn't cover all the costs, then yeah, you can claim that loss in your tax return. But usually you have to lose that money. You, you know, unless you're using something called depreciation, which we'll move on to next. But, you know, if you lose $10,000 a year on your property, yeah, you might get $4,000 or $3,000 that back in tax, but you still lost six or $7,000 a year. So you might think that you're paying less tax, but you're still seven or $6,000 out of pocket. And so I think the biggest danger when we see people trying to buy property for tax benefits is they don't realize they still have to lose money um, to get those tax benefits. Now, that's that sort of also leads into the the next. And if, if the the property was negative geared today doesn't mean it's always going to be negatively geared. You know, the rents can go up over time. You could pay your mortgage off. The interest rates could fall. Um, and at some point, that negatively geared property becomes neutrally geared. The rent covers all the costs. Then rents go up even further. And then you might become slightly positively geared. And then you actually pay tax on that profit. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a... Uh, and then all of a sudden, that tax benefit you thought you were getting, well, you haven't got it anymore. Now you're actually paying more tax. Yeah, uh, so I think sometimes people get hung up a little too much on the terminology here. And I think the key point is, look, if a property in the first two or three years is moderately negatively geared and there's some holding costs, but you can offset those, that's not a big deal. I think as you touched on there, I think sometimes people take this to an extreme and they, they're buying properties where the rental return might be, say, 2% and the you know, you're paying five or six on the mortgage and then you've got a huge holding cost. Yeah. And that's where, yes, for sure, you can save some tax, but at what cost? You know, and I think that's where people can get into trouble. Yeah, and ultimately the people who are potentially buying a property that's not costing them money per year, they're doing it for a reason. The reason they're doing this is because they generally think that's a better asset than if they bought something with maybe a higher rent and maybe a lower price, um, they're doing it because they think they're going to get something called capital growth that offsets that negative per year. I'm willing to lose five, ten thousand dollars a year, but that allows me to have a property worth a million dollars growing for me, etc. The big thing that gives you that negative or positively gear it you know, is something called depreciation. Um, what's your understanding of this, Pete? 
Well, this was another uh, contentious issue that uh, was seen to be something of a rort a few years ago. I think it was around 2017 when the rules were tightened up on depreciation. Yep. So you mentioned if you own a rental property as a landlord, you have various costs that you incur, um, actual dollar costs. So, uh, for example, repairs and maintenance rates, insurance, you've got your mortgage interest. Those are real dollars going out of your pocket. Um, there are other types of losses that you can put on your tax return that what they call sometimes on paper losses in in the states they like to call it that in australia we tend to say depreciation um so this is whereby you'll get after the purchase of the property you can get a, a chartered surveyor or a surveyor to come through prepare you a schedule of the depreciable assets on the property and um, they'll give you effectively just a, a schedule of numbers that you can deduct on your tax return um as a, I suppose, as a general rule, the depreciation tends to be higher on sort of a new build property, and then some on very old properties. There's maybe nothing or not very much to depreciate at all. Where the rules got tightened up, I think there was certainly a case. Um, you know, if you went back six or seven years ago, whereby somebody would be claiming depreciation on a load of secondhand fixtures and furniture, and then they sell the property onto the next person, they'd be claiming the depreciation. There was a lot of double counting going on. Those rules have been tightened up. Uh, but as a general rule, look, if, you, if you're buying a property that's built post-1985, you will be getting some building allowances on that property. You may also find on some uh, properties, you've got some sort of improvements to the property or renovations that can be depreciated as well. I think even on second-hand properties now, it's well worth getting a surveyor out there to see what they can find that can be depreciated because uh, the cost of that schedule itself will be tax deductible and they'll no doubt save you that back in the first year anyway. Uh, but you'd be quite surprised. They can often, they're very skillful. They can find assets and yeah. uh, fittings and so on that can be, or improvements that can be depreciated. Yeah, the temptation here is to buy a property with lots of depreciation because then you get this big tax advantage of, um, and so then generally you'd be thinking, well, I'll buy a new property. The danger with buying new property, which we'll talk about lots in the podcast over the, the coming episodes, is generally the quality of the asset from a growth point of view is hindered because it's maybe a supply challenge or it's a, a demand challenge in terms of high incomes, don't really want it, or maybe they're building lots more of them, or maybe there's thousands of them, for example. So the, the, you've just got to be a bit careful. Yeah, you might get a big tax deduction, but there might be an opportunity cost, and there's also potentially a more CGT you have to pay down the line, which um, we, and it's usually only about four to six hundred dollars for a report. You know, it's not that expensive. And um, if you've got invest investment property, you definitely need a depreciation schedule. I mean, we sort of nicely uh, segued into CGT there, Pete. Um, this is definitely something you really want to understand with property because it, it can lead you in different directions, whether you're buying a home or an investment. Yes. So let's explain firstly. So capital gains tax. If you're not familiar. Um, the general principle is you buy an asset and if you sell it in the future for more than you paid for it, um, adding and taking off the buying and selling costs, then you've got some taxable income there. So now in Australia, if you buy a place of residence, generally speaking, there is no capital gains tax to pay. It's one of the great benefits of buying your own home. Not only are you benefiting from some leverage, hopefully some capital growth over time, maybe you improve the property, but none of that is subject to capital gains tax risk, which is one of the great sort of benefits of owning your own place. Yeah, exactly. So let's say you buy a property for a million dollars and 
you put in a you know 10% deposit plus 5% for stamp duty so you put in 150,000 now if you end up selling that property for 1.5 million you know in 8 years time or something well you'd think you'd have to pay this big tax bill but you know the 400ish or maybe 450 of um property uh, gains you've made are all tax-free and I think that means that your 150 is potentially turned to 600 so and that's that's a huge um, after-tax return um, you know because you don't pay any tax so I think that's the big benefit there's one little tricky thing that you can do you can only have one property growing for tax-free that's a property you live in there is something in the ATO uh, rule book that if you live in the property straight away or if you buy it as your home it becomes your principal place of residence and you do actually have to live in it you can't sort of fudge it you want to be living in there for a good six months most accountants would say um, and then you move out of that property maybe you move overseas or interstate or you know just go rent because it's better for you and then maybe that property could be tax-free for up to six years so that that could be also a bit of a, a tricky one but you know you've got to be careful with the rules there and and make sure that you did move into it straight away and you didn't rent it out etc so um, definitely get tax advice around that but I mean it not are you only buying homes? Sometimes you're buying investment properties, and you know there still is CGT benefits um, with buying property because if most people buy property and they hold it for longer than twelve months, and so you know, in an example of let's say you made you know three hundred thousand dollars net profit after your costs and your selling costs um, uh, and your agents etc., um, you are able to halve that you know, 300 down to 150 and only pay tax on that 150 because there's a 50% reduction if you own the asset more than 12 months. And that's that's a massive saving because you're really only paying tax on 25% of the gain. Um, oh, no, on 50% of the gain, which probably would work out around a 20 to 25% tax rate rather than, say, 40 or 50% tax that you may be paying on income tax. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, they call it in Australia the capital gains tax discount. How a tax can be uh, badged as a discount, I'll never know, but it's, it's all <laughs> in the marketing, as they say. But essentially, as Chris pointed out, if you own an investment property for longer than a year, um, then obviously there's great benefit to doing that because you get the 50% capital gains tax discount. And as you said, I think by the time you do have some capital costs when you buy a property, which you can add back, for example, if you're using a buyer's agent, um, you know, you, you often find that when all said and done, the tax is around 20%, maybe yeah. a little bit more. So it's not too bad, but it does tend to favour sort of long-term compounding assets. So, you know, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but if you look at this numerically, you'll find that if you own a long-term compounding asset and pay 20%, uh, right at the end, in thirty or forty years' time, you work. It works out a lot better than buying and selling all the way through the journey because you're not paying that tax all the way through. It just basically slows down the snowball. Um, but for people buying yeah. their sort of own place of residence, I think particularly for people who've got an eye for renovation or skills or trades that they can use, it's a perfectly valid approach to buy a place, renovate, add some value. Um, and then sort of trade up because you're not getting capital gains tax all the way through the journey. So, yes, there can be some stamp duty, but there's different ways to go about it. Yeah, you'll find a lot of people in the trade industry and builders are constantly flipping their homes because they're able to do the builds at a much cheaper price. 
maybe to manufacture products, uh, profit, um, and buy well, and then potentially produce a much better quality product because they've been able to renovate it um, with better materials because they're a builder, etc. So, um, but I think that the key point around capital gains tax is I'd much rather be paying twenty or up to twenty five percent tax than maybe income tax every year as I earn the money. Um, and then losing that money rather than keeping a 20 or 25% tax that I may pay in 10, 20 or 30 years. The irony here is that if, for example, you bought a property and it went up from 500,000 to a million dollars, if you sold the property today, you could potentially walk away with, let's just call it 400 or 450,000 profit. But what you could do is go back to a bank and release that equity, Um, still not pay any tax because you haven't sold it, um, and then reinvest that money and buy other investments. And so the, the irony with the also capital gains tax is you can release that money to do other investing, which you're not paying tax. So you can delay that tax for a long, long time. And that's what the greatest investors do is they buy great assets and they hold them for a long time because then they don't have to waste all this money on tax and changeover costs. Yes, it's like uh, a good long-term compounding asset. It's what uh, Buffett would call a, a tax-free loan from the treasury because you're not paying that capital gains yep. tax until you <laughs> sell and as you said in real estate if you can actually release the equity well you never potentially need to pay capital gains tax which is certainly along my journey where i've never sold a property because every time i look at it thinking oh i don't want to pay that 20 to 25 percent capital gain why not just keep building the portfolio and it does it does do very powerful things over time so um so for an individual buying property chris tax returns um, prepared up to the 30 June period every year in Australia um, can be slightly complicated if you have properties overseas, but um, if you're just a, a property owner in Australia, you file that annual tax return. Not that complicated. I think in Australia, most people get the, the accountant to help them lodge the, the annual tax return. There's a couple of slight wrinkles here, potentially. Uh, one is if people uh, buy property in a trust instead of their own name, and a sort of related issue is land tax, which doesn't generally have an impact on somebody buying a home, but sometimes an investor buying an investment property might have some land tax to pay as well. Yeah, I think you just got to be careful with land tax because it is a state-based tax um, and there's certain thresholds that each individual, or maybe if you buy properties as a couple, then you can get two thresholds. Um, and so it's really important that you, to give you an idea though, you're probably going to need you know a fair decent asset to go over these land tax thresholds. You know, you might be talking assets of easily a million plus to go over the land tax thresholds, but it's important for you to look at each individual state. And you know, if it's a pure investment, you might be better to buy one in, you know, the one party and then one in the other party, um, or you might buy it joint because then you get a dual threshold. So you just got to be really careful with land tax, especially if you're trying to build a decent portfolio. At some point, you may say, well, I'm capped out in New South Wales. I'm going to go to Queensland or I might go to um, Victoria because, you know, if that land tax is one and a half or two percent, um, that's a big cost that you could save if you just went and got that different land exposure in a different state. Now, land tax can also be deductible. So it's a bit of an irony there that you're paying taxes and deductible, but um, that's what, what it, we also see. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things coming uh, from Great Britain where um, the tax is, you don't have sort of state based land taxes, obviously, because we don't have a state system. And you see um, private landlords building up huge portfolios of. Uh, residential properties. It doesn't really happen here. I think the land tax is a big part of it. Um, but what you can do, as Chris mentioned, if you're thinking strategically, um, you know, if you're somebody who lives in Sydney or Melbourne, you can pick up assets in other states. Um, now, if you do 
buy property in a trust. Most people don't. I think most people buy in their own name, but we do sometimes find particularly people like healthcare practitioners yep. or people who have a family trust. Sometimes people buy in a trust structure that in itself actually introduces different land tax thresholds, um, but also a slightly different mechanism for calculating the annual tax return. So um, that is just one sort of additional wrinkle to watch out for. Uh, why do people buy in trust? It's generally for asset protection. So yeah. if you're in an occupation whereby there's a potential risk of you being sued, so like a surgeon would be a good example, find a surgeon will typically buy their assets in a trust structure because... Um, they're protected. The assets are protected that way. Um, but for most individuals starting out anyway, um, they generally buy in their own name. I think it's, you know, when people grow larger portfolios, they start worrying about asset protection. That's sometimes when the trust structure comes into play. But th I think that's just an individual case by case thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've gone to uh, accountants and accountants send you to uh, tax lawyers. Um, and, you know, there's certain things that they can do in second mortgages and structures and all sorts of things that you do the, for the, the, you know, the everyday Australian is probably a bit too complicated and all these costs, which very, you know, might not actually ever be a risk for you. So you've got to be careful just, um, you know, not many people buying companies. There's no uh, CGT discount, for example. Um, but, you know, taxes are always changing, you know, income tax rates are we going to change this year. Um, the rules around negative gearing in CGT were on the chopping block around the Labor election back in 2019. And, um, you know, a lot of these rules aren't um, retrospective as well. Um, and so, you know, you know that that's going to be the case going forward in saying at the moment they're doing a big retrospective thing on superannuation. So, um, yeah, tax is something you definitely want to understand because you don't want to have any surprises that, um, yeah, down the line. Yeah, I think that's it. So I think like, the big picture here is um, there are uh, certainly costs and fairly significant costs involved in buying and selling property. So it generally favours a longer term approach yeah. rather than somebody trying to flip the whole time because it's quite a big hurdle to get over. And I think the other aspect um, from a tax perspective is that um, although it's the capital gain that gets you out of the asset, you've got to stay in the property and you want the cash flow to stack up uh, year to year. And um, that is where just a, a basic understanding of where negative gearing and depreciation fits in um, is an important thing as well, Chris. Yeah, I think the, the irony here is the shows like, um, you know, The Block and, you know, all these sort of renovators is that, you know, when you look at a, a property, especially if it's a, if it's your home, it's a bit easier to make money through flipping. But if it's an investment property, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on it. And, um, you know, there's all sort of other taxes if you're going down a development like CGT and, you know, all these other things as well. So, um, yeah, definitely whenever you're doing your feasibility, make sure you don't miss any taxes and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, you know some of those long-term compounding results from high-quality investments. Um, you know, growing capital gains tax-free for years on end. I mean, they can do really powerful things, and often. With compound growth, the best results come later on in the journey. Uh, that yeah. snowball effect. And that's what we would recommend to our clients is that when they're building a portfolio, is that's why property is a great asset to do other investing around. You can use the equity to, to buy into shares, for example. It's called equity release. Then you've got a tax deduction on on the interest that um, you pay there that will make the against the income of the shares. Um, and if you and then you don't have to pay capital gains tax, you know, because you haven't sold. Um, the shares to then buy the property, et cetera. So 
um, yeah, it's good to use them both in lever of each other just to make sure that you're, you're maximizing your tax deduction and your non-deductible debt on your home. Fantastic. So if you've got any questions, that was just a flavor today of Australia's glorious tax system. But if you've got any questions, as always, we'd love to answer them. So get in contact details in the show notes below. Chris, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Pete. Look we'll, forward to the next one. We'll chat to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.